Welcome to Casual Sets, a weekly podcast on the game of tennis from the experts themselves. I'm your host, James Presley. This week we have our first double interview episode with travel correspondent Davy Sutton and American tennis superstar Madison Keys. To kick things off, I spoke to Davy Sutton, who is an Emmy Award winning journalist who was recently featured on today's show on NBC. Davy, who is also a pretty good tennis player herself, sat with me to give listeners a few tips in preparation for the Labor Day holiday. So, hey, Davy, welcome to Casual Sets. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> uh, so a little known fact about Davey is that um, outside of being a lifestyle and expert, travel expert, she's actually a very competitive tennis player. So on the fourth episode of your show, Beyond the Usual, we see you playing on the clay courts of Hilton, Hilton Head, South Carolina. So how long have you been playing tennis and what made you get into tennis? So I started playing tennis in 2009 and I was already a full grown adult. Uh, which means I had to just learn it from scratch, and I relied a lot on my athleticism. And what made me start playing was the fact that I realized that uh, you can just start playing. Uh, I grew up a huge basketball fan and player, uh, and I played pretty competitively. And I I guess you probably see um, in the work that you do that there are kind of the players that really get like like to do tournaments and stuff are the ones that were probably pretty competitive as kids playing sports, right? So right. that was kind of like the energy I brought. So I actually got to go, I was working for CNN at the London Bureau, and I got to go and cover Wimbledon. Oh, nice. And, um, of course, we know how beautiful Wimbledon is, and to see it in person is even, you know, more awesome. And uh, what we do see on TV are kind of like the pro players, the young ones, and, and, and their competition. But what I saw in person, which is not televised, where the senior is playing. Mm. And I asked the person that was my host, I was like, wait, is he? I saw this old guy walking and I was like, is he about to play? And they were like, yeah, he's going to play. They play before they have a senior's competition. And that's when the light bulb went off there is that basically with tennis, you are, are in control of your own destiny. Um, you just need to get a racket, get on the court, and you can just start playing until whatever so through my journey with tennis I um like you see you don't you can lose your legs and still play tennis (laughs) um and I played when I was in Charlotte I played at this court on Saturday mornings where they would bus in the senior home the players from the senior home I played with somebody up to 89 years old with tennis so you can play forever so that's how I got into it and and now become obsessed with it nothing wrong with that uh so little birdie told me that you have a big USA qualifying tournament coming up this month uh what's that for um, I forgot the name of it uh, because my schedule is standby. I'll look it up. It's next week. Or the, oh, it's the um, the fast four national qualifiers. Um, so basically, it's your last chance. You can get, get a whole bunch of points playing in USTA, and then you can compete on a national level. So that's the cool thing about U.S. Tennis Association, which um, a lot of people don't realize, is that if you play enough tournaments, you can be ranked in a particular Six, way. Great. So that's another thing that kind of fuels my, like, uh, adrenaline and competition because you can play in tournaments but also if you play enough you can become ranked oh yeah so speaking of tournaments i actually had the pleasure of playing mixed doubles with davy this summer where we made the finals uh, <laughs> oh dear uh, so in my opinion a tournament we very much should have won but yes. that's a story for another episode right. uh but um 
pretty much uh, we'll dive into the area of expertise. So Labor Day weekend's coming up, and this is one of the busiest weekends in the country for travel. So for someone who's trying to plan a trip with two or three weeks out, what's the first thing they should consider, and how would you go about planning a last-minute three-day weekend trip? Okay, so last-minute trips uh, can be tricky. The thing is, if you are flexible, then, um, then you can find yourself at a really cool spot or destination. So first of all, do you want to fly there or do you want to drive? So depending on where you are, there's nothing wrong with taking, uh, depending on your budget, just hopping in the car and going a few hours out and you might end up in a really cool place. So that is one thing is to do a road trip. Um, and the most expensive part of your travel generally is a flight. So if you can find a discount flight to anywhere, if you're open, if you're not just like bent on going to Disney World or you just want to go to the Bahamas, um, then you can use a tool, one of my favorite tools is skyscanner.com. It lets you search destination everywhere. So we are currently in Atlanta and so you can put in the you would put your departure Atlanta and then you would search everywhere and then you would put in those dates that you want to uh, travel to and they will populate with which actually on sale. So you can end up someplace you never thought you wanted to be as long as you're flexible to go there. So that's kind of last minute tips to get you get you out and experience something new. I think that's definitely something a lot of people don't know and definitely need to be made aware of. Um, are there any domestic destinations people should really consider this time of year and not just for Labor Day weekend, but going into the fall? So going into the fall is generally um, in, in North America is considered like the shoulder season. So it's a good time to actually uh, book a trip because uh, in the shoulder season, it means it's between off seasons and peak season. Mm-hmm. So things might that. People are still trying to fill their beds and heads. That's what hotels say. Um, and you can actually find some discounts. So I people always ask me particular destinations. And shoulder season in the uh, Caribbean is in the fall because it's hurricane season. So you have to take the pros and cons with that. You can book a trip. I would book trip insurance if you book a trip um, because you might hit, you know, a storm can ruin your entire trip, but also you can get a deeply discounted stay and it might be the weekend where it is perfectly, you know, amazing with Mm. with weather. So that is something to consider. I think um, in the fall, it's still nice in Europe, but it's still considered shoulder season. So there are definitely places um, that you can find discounted uh, stays uh, coming into the fall before the holiday season. So if you get the opp- you definitely get the opportunity to travel all over the world for your show and other media outlets that uh, you may be covering your story for. What are two international destinations that a lot of people sleep on? Oh, hmm. So international destinations. Um, well, here I feel like it's not necessarily that people don't that people uh, sleep on them. It's more that they don't know about them. So the, I went to this place um, in the Caribbean between St. Martin and Anguilla. It's called St. Eustatius. And it's actually really important to American history, but we don't really know about this place. And it is a Dutch, it's in the Dutch Caribbean island, and the nickname is called Stacia. And the reason it's important to American history is it was the first place in the world back in the 1800s that recognized the U.S. as a sovereign nation against Great Britain. So there they have a a tradition that they call the first salute, where they kind of honor the U.S., and it's a Dutch Caribbean island. So (laughs) it's not that people don't sleep on it. It was just we don't even know about it. We're not even taught about that history. Um, And um, there are some places like in South America that are becoming more popular, like uh, uh, 
people used to go to Costa Rica, or, you know, Costa Rica is a highly tourist area, and it's because people like ecotourism, and mm-hmm. they like the, the outdoors, and then they want to surf and all that stuff. So now people are trying to migrate to places like Nicaragua or Colombia, where before we weren't really, uh, it wasn't really tourist-friendly because they there was a lot of uh, uh, high crimes in mm-hmm. the area, right, and they right. had internal battles yeah. with drug wars <laughs> yeah, and all that stuff. But now it's it's been open for tourism and they are making that effort to make sure that their tourism is fate tourists are safe and um tour it is a place tourism friendly so if you like eco tourism and outdoor activities like that i recently i went to nicaragua last year and and that's a good place if you don't want the crowds of costa rica nice nice well everyone if you're looking for some extra stamps on your passport you heard it from the expert herself uh where to get them so davy thanks again for chatting with me and uh, good luck on your tournament (laughs) thanks Madison Keys was in Atlanta recently for an exhibition against good friend and defending U.S. Open champion Sloane Stephens. I had an opportunity to speak with her about her year thus far and her preparation and route to the U.S. Open before hitting the court that evening. First off, Madison, welcome to Atlanta. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so uh, there aren't any WTA tour stops here. Is this your first time here? It's not. I, uh, before they changed the format... Uh, for the wildcard tournaments, they used to play it at um, oh, yeah. Racket Club of the yeah. South. I Australian think it's Open a lifetime wildcard. now. Yeah, lifetime now. Yeah, so I've played there a couple of times for the wildcard tournament. There was a, I think like a 25,000 that was played there as well, mm-hmm. maybe a 50 okay. in the summer, which was so hot. <laughs> and then growing up in Florida, we played some of our nationals were kind of in this area. Yeah. All, every once in a while we make it up, mm. but I haven't actually left the Atlanta airport mm. in a couple of years. Couple t- <laughs> so a couple stops. So you've seen that. A couple terminals. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the Australian Open Wildcard is actually one of my favorite tournaments, too, I think, because rarely did we get to see everybody in one place and got to see everybody's careers kind of blossom right there. Um, so being that there aren't any WTA tour events here in Atlanta, uh, Sloan and you, Sloan Stevens, you are here playing tonight's exhibition, the uh, 2017 U.S. Open Finals rematch. Um, you ladies were actually just in – Newport, Rhode Island, Friday, uh, for the exact same exhibition. So is this something new, playing uh, exhibitions and matches at ATP events? <laughs> it was my first time in Newport doing that, mm-hmm. and then obviously coming here, it's also, it's, I guess now my second time yeah. <laughs> within the first trip. Uh, but it's fun. It's a little bit, it's a little bit weird because all of the guys will look at us and be like, "Why are you here?" Oh wow! <laughs> like, no offense, right. but. It, what are you doing here? Exactly. Um, so it is funny, but and it's a little bit weird just because it's obviously tournaments that we've never been to. Mm-hmm. So you're so used to after being on the tour for so long, knowing where you're going and where everything is and not really being surprised when you get here. So uh, it's a little bit different coming here and being like, I've never been here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, as we all know, uh, Sloane, you are very close friends and shared a very special moment at the U.S. Open final, like after the match. Um, so, prior to the U.S. Open final versus now, has your mindset competing against her changed at all? I don't think my mindset has changed. I definitely um, struggled before the U.S. Open. I was extremely nervous and um I did not handle those emotions very well. And then on top of all of that, just the adrenaline and all of that, it was just a lot to handle. So, but even then, it was never about playing slow. It was playing the U.S. Open final. So, 
I've definitely had to get better at playing her because she has beaten me every right. time. But I think even in Paris, there were a lot of things that I saw as improvement. So I don't think it's ever really the mindset. I think it's more just how I need to execute my game. I understand. Um, another fellow American that you're close with is Coco Vandeweghe. Um, so you, Sloan, and her are probably considered the new generation of American women tennis. Um, do the three of you ever consult with each other about being a face of tennis or the pressures and expectations that are often presented? I don't think we've ever actually talked to each other about it. I think we all realize when the other one is struggling just because we've all been there. And we, I think we all go through it in waves even still. Um, I know that Sloan and I for a while had almost the exact same uh, timing of things. Like we both made the, US, or the Australian Open semis and then struggled a little bit yeah. and then got hurt. and then So we've kind of been on the same path. So it's been nice to be able to have someone – who completely understands what you're going through. That's great. Um, another big feat on your res resume is a recent French Open semifinalist run. Um, how has your run in Paris helped your confidence going into the hardcore season? Uh, it's helped me just because I've always said that clay is my least favorite and I don't like it mm -hmm. and all of that. So to have such a great result on my what I would consider as my least favorite surface mm -hmm. has been really great. So after the French Open, uh, you kicked off the grass course season with your new coach, David Taylor. How's that transition been? It's been really good, actually. He was amazing. He talked to my mom and Lindsay and my fitness trainer and everyone during Paris so that we'd have the easiest transition that we could. And um, so far, things have been going really, really great. I love working with him, and hopefully we have a really good U.S. Open series. That's great. So even though Lindsay is not particularly coach, do you still reach out to her from time to time just to speak about what may be going on, struggles or anything like that? We talk all of the time, <laughs> mostly not about tennis. Occasionally still about tennis or, you know, if I'm particularly nervous before a match or something, I'll you know text her, and if we're in the same place, she'll come down and talk to me and all of that. But... Um, we still talk all of the time, and I think that's something that we're always going to do. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Madison, thank you for speaking with me. Uh, looking forward to seeing you on the court tonight. Thank you. All right. <laughs> be sure to be on the lookout for upcoming episodes of Casual Sets. New episodes will include interviews of some players you heard of and some you haven't, but you will soon. See you at the courts. Peace. <laughs>